Welcome to Finding Fair Health podcast. So this episode is a really special one. Dominic Maddox gives us a unique insight into working in street outreach in Leeds and kindly shares his own personal experience and how in many ways this has shaped the way he now works. We discuss the power and importance of thinking outside the box and being as flexible as possible. But also, I don't think I have ever heard a better or more powerful advocate for self-care. I got loads from this episode and I hope you all do too. So welcome to Finding Fair Health podcast. Um, Today we've got uh, a guest who I've been wanting to get onto the podcast for a, a long time, Dom Maddox. Dom is a street outreach clinical practitioner working in Leeds. He works in the street support team supporting people who find themselves homeless and or sleeping on the street with access to healthcare. Dom works hard to build relationships, bring services together and think of new and innovative ways to improve access. Dom is generous with his time and open with his own story, which creates a unique strength in the relationships both professionally and with his patients. Dom, welcome to the podcast. I'm so pleased we are finally both sitting down to have this chat. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thanks, Rachel. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm feeling quite warm, really nice. This is the best part of the year to work outreach. Um, so yeah, everyone gets really jealous that I'm spending loads of time in the sun. So life is good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Dom, you're working lots outside. So tell us a bit about the outreach service and what it is you do. Yeah, so I work for Bevan Healthcare in Leeds. So we're based out of the York Street Health Practice. So registered here are patients who are experiencing homelessness, refugees and asylum seekers. So the main work that I focus on is those traditionally indigenous populations that are experiencing homelessness, which includes rough sleepers, um, as well as people in hostels and for other vulnerable sort of accommodation venues. Um, and my role is very much at that, that, that initial stages of engaging with healthcare. So the, the, the front door to an inclusion health practice. So looking after the acute healthcare needs of people rough sleeping, uh, attempting to manage and improve um, engagement with chronic illness, and then working alongside lots of other professionals to really provide that holistic collaborative support that somebody who is experiencing homelessness often needs bringing together money general support work accommodation and other special uh requirements yeah so you've got a really amazing role really so having been able to be fortunate enough to spend some time going out with you guys it's uh, amazing just to see what going to meet patients where they're at rather than kind of waiting what a lot of traditional healthcare services um wait for patients to turn up at the door and you've kind of got an opposite approach where you kind of go and go out and find your patients Um, yeah yeah absolutely you know I always feel that the most important patient to me and, and my specific job is is the patient I don't know it's the you know that that's the patient I'm looking for you know the, the person who fits the criteria of the people that I work for but I don't know I don't know where they are I don't know who they are and I don't know what what health needs they have um every day spent being homeless is traumatic so I can guarantee that if there is no physical health there will be 
ever-increasing mental health um, coming just from that experience of being homeless. So I have to recognise that I'm going out into our patients' reality. They're not coming into an appointment. So I have to respect that. I'm entering their space and patients and using a really trauma responsive sense of how those patients might behave around me and with me um, and engage with any kind of process is about doing it at their pace and that and that really does mean doing it doing it at their pace because you will often start a process and won't complete it and you'll go round in in a revolving motion um but if we improve somebody's health and the way that they're feeling about themselves just for the, maybe one hour of one day, then that is beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And it's making those tiny little changes. You've, been, you've got um, years of experience now and building the um, street outreach service. And what have been the kind of challenges for you along the way? And tell us a bit about developing this service, because it's been an amazing achievement what you've done. Yeah, so uh, last year, well, two years ago, we thought that COVID was going to be a big challenge. Um, that's the most most recent challenge that we've had on the way. And um, it proves that with policy and with funding, you can actually improve the experience of people who are homeless by providing them a roof over their head, services collaborating effectively together to deliver a service to those venues where those people are people are housed everybody in in the grand scheme of things didn't cost that much money but was really effective at reducing rough sleeping almost to zero and working with the patients that I was lucky enough to experience their um everybody in accommodation and and provision their health and their well-being definitely improved over over the last couple of years and being able to take some of the lessons that we learned from that period and roll them on into a period after covid um the new normal is lovely you know and and, and i think the lessons that have been learned are funding and true collaboration between services so i think that's one thing that we've um, learn over the four years that I've been working in in homeless healthcare is is collaboration is the absolute key. The reason it's key is it's almost coming back to that those real basic needs of the hu- uh, uh, of any human um, before health. They need shelter, they need food and water, and to be able to wash. And then you can bring healthcare in in on top of that. But I think what also collaboration allows us to do is for our organisations that are completely focused on looking after these quite unique situations and are well-skilled in these um, specialist areas, we can educate other organisations about how to maybe adjust their policies so that they can also reach often people that are designated hard to reach. And so... A good example will be of that opiate replacement prescribing during the pandemic. A lot of the normal rules and and process behind that um, 
were reduced and people were able to access medication a lot quicker. And some of those new policies are starting to to reflect the way that drug services work now um, following following the pandemic. We, four years ago, used to work on a camper van, so a VW camper van with lovely velour seating, which was never that um, hygienic, but it was a start and it proved that outreach medicine was something that patients would engage with and would improve health outcomes. And we have, through different ways of of creating funding and increased uh staffing we've been able to now fund two vehicles specialist outreach vehicles they are like a gp consultancy room on wheels with a toilet and we have one working in bradford and one working in leeds they will can work up to seven days a week 24 hours a day and that a bit that mobile ability and that clean safe space where you can do anything from a from a contraception implant to leg dressing to just sitting and having a conversation in the warm and the dry with a hot chocolate that safe space with its adaptability of being mobile is definitely a massive improvement that we've had on our outreach team and the key to making that mobile vehicle work and be efficient is the staff that work on board. And when I was talking about collaboration with other services, I sometimes forget how well we are collaborating as professionals within one organisation or, or, or what, what an integrated primary care service we have just under our practice roof. I work with occupational therapists nurses practice nurses advanced practitioners gps uh substance use gps all on board that vehicle and so if you put the vehicle in the right place if you put the right staff on board and it's the right time of the day you'll have some form of success in reaching populations that you're aiming that service at yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine by being so embedded in the community, your awareness of other services must be amazing as well. Would you say that was the case? Yeah. And if we focus on rough sleeping and homeless individuals in, in the city centre in Leeds, the professionals that we work with and how many meetings we have and, and, and planning meetings about somebody's care and about somebody's um plan you know an individual's plan of what they want to do what they want to achieve and how we as support workers surround them with that support package we attend a lot of meetings to as part of the team as the health strand of that team and only with that collaboration um, and that joined up approach are are we able to support individuals but I think what's in also interesting about what comes from those meetings that aren't so like a traditional MDT on one person where they're just a group of professionals that all work in an area. We are, I'm going to use a really police term now, but we have a lot of intelligence about the lives of homeless people in Leeds city centre. And so we can follow that narrative and we can understand where people are and 
think about the care that might be right for that person in that situation on that day. So that might be somebody's recently come out of prison, somebody's recently come out of hospital, or the other way around, they've gone into those environments. Somebody's recently gone back onto the streets, or somebody's come into a hostel. Having that narrative between professionals, I spoke earlier about being patient and allowing the patient to direct their care when they want. But it's also about knowing that that patient, okay, might now be in the environment where things are more possible. We talk about being trauma-informed. When somebody is rough sleeping, they're busy surviving. There is no time to... um, to escape that, it, 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 I remember a, a patient saying to me, the worst part of my journey was rough sleeping. This person had spent some time, it was a woman, she'd spent some time in a prison, in hospitals, in rehabs, in hostels. And she said, the, the hardest bit, the most distressing part of my journey was, was rough sleeping because it was relentless. Every minute of every day, you, yes, you went to sleep, but you didn't really sleep. And every moment of every day was was busy just surviving. And being able to understand that maybe somebody's, a patient has got a break from that survival mode might be the moment where they think, yeah, I want to sit down with a healthcare professional. Yeah, and that's so hard. And Don, having watched you with patients, you really are patient so kind and people relate to you in such an amazing way it's priceless really why do you think this is um hopefully being authentic bringing down those barriers um just being another human trying to trying to meet a patient on a level rather than um, there does need to be some patient professional relationship uh, and and sometimes those boundaries do get blurred and you might have to remind yourself or or, or, or the other person but reducing that that hierarchy being being on a level and then we spoke about meeting people in their reality I have to behave like that because I'm in their reality but I think that the way that is received and I hope the the way that received is received is this person is interested in where I am they understand where I am they know they've sat next to me on a pavement they've seen me at six o'clock in the morning in the freezing cold and and the and the rain and actually this person's standing in the rain they under when I say I'm cold they understand what I mean because they're standing next to me. They understand what it is. So, yeah, it, and it's that I'm really lucky. I don't work in a box. So sometimes I will do tasks that are not necessarily completely what I should be doing as a paramedic written down on paper, but what they will lead on to is me to have a good relationship to be able to deliver some healthcare, and I'm really grateful that my organization allows me to do that and I think when we look at the bigger structure of the health service we need inclusion health practices 
when efficiency and audit and figures are coming out to understand the quality of the work that, that they're doing rather than the quantity of their work, the work that they're doing because mm. only by being understanding of how if we're going to be true trauma informed then a simple task a tick in a box a a, 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 a set of observations that might need taking for a for a report that will come in time but it might take three or four visits before you get that ability to ask someone to take their coat off to take their blood pressure it's actually a really simple task but it when you're talking to somebody who's freezing cold on the street taking your coat off is a huge thing and it's a really personable thing and yet to us it's really simple isn't it somebody the patient comes into our rooms we say i'll take your coat off i'll take your blood pressure i it feels really awkward to do that sometimes in the street so don't do it if it's awkward it's awkward um yeah give give yourself some time oh there's so many things you've just talked about then firstly i totally hear what you're saying and there's so much stuff around flexibility and allowing professionals to be able to give quality of care and not thinking about numbers and data and i think there's that but then there's also that line between personal and professional relationship i think is so interesting and I wonder how do you manage that in the sense of, I don't know, do you ever give your um, mobile telephone number to anyone? How much do you kind of, how do you limit yourself in terms of when do you stop at the end of the day of the someone who need, you know that you could do that, go that extra mile for? When do you, when do you draw the line? So um, I have a work mobile, um, having a work line and a personal line. So nobody, nobody gets my personal number. Even some colleagues don't have my personal <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that is gold dust. But I do have a work number. And, yeah, I do give it out to people because sometimes it's really useful. And maybe that is a way of reducing one of those barriers because it is somebody that they feel that they've got contact with and they're able to communicate with. And, and sometimes it's a really efficient way of finding somebody phone them up and say where are you i want to come and see you oh well i'm on this street but it, it, i think it's just one of the things about me that i probably find hard to describe why i'm on quite a level with with my patients and why i find it very easy to build a good relationship from nothing but I know what's gone into that I know like I can't describe what I do but because I suppose it's quite hard isn't it it's quite nuanced but I I I know where it comes from and it and it comes from a personal experience it comes from um having I've never been homeless but I have been a drug addict so I four years ago was uh, addicted to crystal meth and went for a process of rehab and still continue to do some sense of recovery. I still go to Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I still meet people very in their early days of escaping drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And I do that weekly and I do that in my own personal time. And I think one of the things it interests, it intrigues me and it keeps me interested in humanity. It also keeps me well. 
it reminds me where I've come from. You know, there were some really dark days in my own uh, experience. Four years ago, I was physically very unwell, had hepatitis C. My my skin was numerous wounds all over it from injecting and I'd lost my job. I was very quickly running out of money. Um, I, I, I said I was never homeless. I didn't pay my rent for three months, but seemed to have a forgiving landlord who, uh, when I managed to write him a letter after the third month, gave me a bit of space and time to, to pay back my rent. And, you know, I'm really grateful for that because it was roots. It, it was my hat. It was my home. You know, I didn't come homeless. I didn't become houseless. I didn't become homeless. Um, and when I when I go home from work and I turn off my work phone, I have that to go to go back to, and I, and and that hasn't had to change that much. And uh, and I'm really grateful to have those roots. And I think roots are, are really important in anyone's recovery journey, um, whatever that may be. And it and it isn't just bricks and mortar. It's people. It's it's um, community. It's um, yourself. You know, you like my career, and you know, I rightly so professionally have my career taken away from me uh, 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 and suspensions and those kind of things and that was the right thing to do at the right period I, I, I at no point should I have been anywhere near a patient I was I was too poorly myself and too much of a risk but in the future did those restrictions need to stay in place because actually what you've got is somebody with a professional and a personal knowledge now that that can maybe pull those two things together to provide some sense of improvement in a certain area in, in healthcare. And I think it's that, it's that that hopefully comes over from me as a, a as a professional is that it, it, it is that lived experience. I'm, I'm not closed about my addiction past in front of patients. If they ask, it's not something I broadcast, but if well, I'm asked questions about the scars on my arms, then I tell them where they came from. And the reason I tell them is because it's honest. We all, at some point, some communities more than others, experience stigma. We experience stigma from other people. But one of the big things that we experience is stigma from ourselves. And if we manage to overcome the stigma of others, Do we ever successfully overcome the stigma that we give ourselves? And if the addicts that I work with hear the professional that's looking after them refer to themselves as an addict, that does reduce stigma. That does create that bond. And it's not a bad word, addict. So it's not a bad word when you're in the lucky position that I'm in. It shouldn't be a bad word if you're actively using, but I can see why it doesn't have complete positive connotations, but it is somebody who is poorly and it's somebody who needs help. There are other illnesses, aren't there, that have very much less stigma. Um, And I think, you know, like lots of things, mental health, LGBTQ stuff, if these topics these words become more familiar and more across whole society and people see that people are going to relax to that and i i I think that is 
a benefit community. Yeah, oh wow. Well, thanks, Don, for sharing that. There's a lot of lessons learned and a lot of personal insight and so much thought and vulnerability that's gone into a lot of what you were saying. So thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of that will contribute to some of the amazing relationships you have with your patients. I can imagine that there's a lot of the things you were saying before around building trust and things that I think you you also have, which adds to that. I'd be really interested to hear what was it about the services and the um, health professionals that you came into contact with um, that really made a difference to you when you were struggling? Really bad and really good professionals. Um, And they're strong words, aren't they? I went into my GP. It was an emergency kind of 10 minute turn up, A&E style, sit in a queue, um, sort of minor illness clinic in the morning. And... I would have, I, yeah, I, I think it was osteomyelitis in eventually that, that it was maybe the beginning of that. I went in with so many numerous um, infected wounds and, and bits and bobs. And we spoke about the one thing and I was in the frame of mind where I wanted to speak about a lot of other things. Um, and I wanted to cover my mental health. I, I was starting down the road of despair, you know, I'd, I'd kind of come to the end of, the fun part of using drugs and I remember he said to me I'm sorry we only have time to cover one thing and that was it he didn't signpost me on to another appointment or and I, and I remember feeling and um this is it wasn't just a cranial emotion it was like I'd be punched in the in the in the gut it was it was like this person really isn't that interested in me and you know now working in primary care I understand the pressures but at that one moment I was ready to open up about a lot of things and talk about a lot of health things I knew I was there for health I wasn't going to talk to him about anything on healthcare and it just felt like nope not interested whether the person was interested or not you know it just was shattering and that I think was the beginning to a a bad opinion and and a bad relationship I had with my primary care provider I remember a healthcare assistant saying we don't know what to do with your wounds um, because they were slightly different to um the normal diabetic leg wounds that they were more used to seeing and that just felt and I, and I remember having a right strop at that point and and asking her to to stop looking after my legs and she was like well why and I said well you've just said to me you don't know what you're doing so why are you carrying on go and get somebody who does know what they're doing um and maybe I was you know maybe my behavior wasn't wasn't perfect but I think it it's th- it was those really little things like we don't know what we're doing or we haven't got time for that now were so massive and detrimental what I learned from the good parts of my care so when I started to think I need help with my addiction and I and I, and I want recovery I or previous to my addiction um have a positive diagnosis for HIV and um 
because my addiction was very tied up with the chemsex world, I was making frequent visits to sexual health clinic, which in those days was where my HIV infectious disease clinic was, was housed as well. And so they connected up all the little bits of information they were getting and they referred me to a psychologist. They referred me to hepatitis C treatment. They looked, their nurses looked after my wounds. They promoted me registering with a drug and alcohol service. Um, and by going back to them and I was going, you know, I was going to my HIV clinic kind of once a fortnight um, was they were the, the instigators of of my collaborative team that were looking after me and I eventually got it you know and my health started to improve and the work of those individuals thinking like I do now outside of their box and their specialism and maybe you know it was an infectious disease service in a in a in a medium-sized city. Maybe they did have a bit more time than my primary care provider. Um and maybe I trusted them more. And that's where that success came from. So it 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 definitely was about sort of collaboration. And I remember when I went to my drug service for the first time, I I didn't immediately click with my recovery coordinator. And he recognised that and he said, I think you'll work much better with another person that, that I've got in mind. Do you mind if we swap? And I met this amazing, amazing guy called Paddy who um, took me to my first NA meeting and was able to share some of his story, which... I found had certain similarities to mine and those moments were really special and yeah it I'm really I'm really grateful that I had people that and it, I suppose it's just twigged isn't it people that taught me a little bit how to do my job that I do today so yeah no um things go around in circles well, um, Don, it sounds like you've had some, yeah, some, some, some amazing care, but also some, some um, poor experiences as well, which, yeah, does sound really tough, particularly when you're kind of prepared to open up and in that moment feeling able to talk about things that have been really challenging for you to have that closed down must have been so challenging. What, what are your insights that you've taken from your story in terms of managing patients specifically with addiction? The it's an illness. Um, it's not a choice. And I think if you maybe also see it like a condition, so something that you're going to live with forever, not that drug taking is a condition, but maybe addiction is. I see, you know, I, we were talking about um recovery and the fact that I still go to recovery meetings the reason I do that is because I'm an addict and it helps me to get by in life I realize that you'll have all heard this analogy a lot 
we are onions, aren't we, of many layers. And if on the outside I was taking drugs, then the layers below that, that's where the addict comes from, the self-critic, the not confident, the the child who maybe experienced trauma um, and advanced, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And, and it's all those components that go together to when that person or I use a substance or drink some alcohol and feel different. That's why we like it because it helps us to feel nice and nicer than we feel without that addiction turns people into most of the time quite horrible selfish people and I think what recovery has done to me is it's revealed the person that I actually want to be and 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 that's what's so sustaining really in in the future addicts are not popular in society because of the crime and the violence and the the parts of society that are so destructive but that's the addiction isn't it it's not often the the person underneath that if you if you got rid of the toxicity of it then the people underneath you're not born bad that's so interesting Don thank you so this is so challenging and and even with your own personal experiences I can I can imagine you've had your fair share of people not being very nice to you and what would you recommend to all health professionals thinking about ways in which we can support these patients who are going through experiences well that where they're probably not being their true core self and they're not they're not um necessarily being very nice what would you recommend how, how to health professionals deal with that i think boundaries will always be understood if not immediately eventually i think any addict will understand that boundaries as tend to make sense so i don't think i don't think being boundaried at certain points when somebody's being really uh inappropriate then then sometimes that is the safest and the and the and, and the only way to act but patience with a C, not a T. Um, give people a second chance, maybe a third and a fourth chance. Look at, is it you as a professional and therefore do you have another professional that might be able to do exactly the same as you? But, um, and, and you know, if you're part of an organisation, you just want to achieve better better health outcomes. It doesn't really matter matter who does that you know I recognize that in the street sometimes my relationship does go through good and good and bad days with people in the streets sometimes if that person needs a healthcare professional it's about me handing that handing that role over to somebody who the patient is more receptive to but maybe it's just about waiting and uh, waiting for things to calm down I think the other thing is about understanding about how the other things around you can help you as a as a healthcare professional do your job. So how does your building work, enabling uh, environments and, and psychologically informed environments? How do what do the other people that work around you? Who are they? Where do they come from? What's their jobs? Is there a place for peer advocacy? 
And if there isn't, if there's no scope for mutual aid within your organisation, what's around you in your cities, in your in your towns? Who can you signpost these people to um, that are safe and where the individuals will feel like they're around people like them and and, and maybe do better as a result of those relationships yeah yeah yeah. that's a really good point so it's 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 going back to kind of a lot of the things you were saying at the beginning kind of working outside the box and thinking about um thinking about um um yeah how you can how you can support yourself but also your patient maybe outside of um what you might standardly do within the consultation room um dom you mentioned um um a while back now because we've with the conversation moved on a bit but you mentioned um trauma and adverse childhood experience and I think that's really interesting because you're obviously working as a street street outreach and I I I thought it was really powerful when you said we're talking about not doing someone's blood pressure because you because the vulnerability of kind of taking someone's coat off I can imagine um, even mentioning trauma or adverse childhood experience on the street it must be a really challenging thing because that's something I struggle to do in a consultation room let alone out out on the street where this is something that is such a sensitive topic how do you even think about going about that I'm always more worried when a patient is too free with information in the street I sometimes find that it shocks me what some people are willing to shout out for everyone to hear um and 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 that's something that maybe you and 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 other people listening to this wouldn't expect often what is discussed openly that's that sense of coming into somewhere that is safe and private and maybe just one-to-one or one-to-two professionals actually that's when talking about trauma is the most stressful for somebody who's been traumatized I think that's the thing isn't it about people who are experiencing homelessness things are diagnoses and experiences are higher by proportion in those populations than they are in the general population so ADHD, um, adverse childhood experiences, mental, poor mental health. Um, And therefore it's quite common to shout about why you might feel that you're more in need than somebody else. But the reality is if the other person is also homeless, they've, they've probably experienced something very similar to you every homeless person's journey is unique and we need to think about them as individuals and not as a population that we can just do this one thing yeah there are things that are common in in that population but we can't look after them as a population we have to look after people as individuals and and have a unique care package around that each person so Starting conversations in the street is something that 
I tend to let the patient go to. I think I then would like to try and bring it into somewhere that is safer to talk about. So if we're talking about literally in a busy pavement, it might be nice to go to a slightly quieter square. So I might say, oh, let's go and get a hot drink. And I might know that there is a sandwich shop that goes onto a park or something. And I know that there's a bench that we can sit on where we're not going to be in a busy high street and just kind of move subtly the the uh, engagement to somewhere physically outside that's that that's more private. Or I might kind of say, OK, that's really interesting. Let's try and get you back into in, into into our practice, into our in, into our building. And, and and that might be to professionals that are better the, in discussing certain presentations, mental health professionals um, that might be more suitable in, in the building rather than outside the building. And if that's not going to happen, then I'll take those professionals from inside the building to what to where that to where that patient is going to be. Yeah, and so much of what you've talked about is your role in kind of connecting those professionals, but also, yeah, keeping your patient safe, but kind of being flexible around that. So it it goes back to a lot of the things you were talking about when we first started off around the flexibility, freedom, and um, not necessarily doing the job that you have written down on paper, if that makes sense. <laughs> Just thinking about going forward. So how do you keep yourself kind of well going forward in all of this because I know how important it is as health professionals for us to keep ourselves healthy in order to look after our own patients. I'm really lucky that the organisation that I choose to 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 do my weekly kind of recovery uh, with so Narcotics Anonymous 12 step um, one of the one of the program things is that um, you do service and you, uh, you you keep that message going out because it helped you one day. So if you keep the message strong, it will help somebody else tomorrow. So I don't only just go for myself. I go to make cups of tea and make sure our room's set up and chairs and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, not every single week am I sat there looking at my own well-being and 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 really having to put much effort into what they might say is staying clean you know it's very functional and and kind of just facilitating a group but the fact that it is a weekly two hours of my life that is just set aside as this is what you're doing for those two hours you can't interrupt that that's that's really really healthy and you know um we need to make time in the evenings at work, uh, after work or um, at the weekends to do well-being, social prescribed activities because they will keep us well, whatever they are. Um, and vicarious trauma, isn't it, is kind of the thing that we really need to watch out for. And that's, the, you know, that's ex- when we're experiencing people's, patients traumas we absorb some of that emotionally I think that's one of the beautiful things about working in healthcare that we can be humane um we must deal with that 
in, in, in a way that is enriched with humility, which, you know, it, it is a privilege, but it it is a lot to sometimes hear and to sometimes think about when you're not at work and we need to just take time to to recognize that we do need self-care but self-care is not selfish um quite often (laughs) this sounds really egotistical quite often i'll go to meetings and either at the beginning or end of the meeting there will be a quirky kind of meeting starter so tell us something that you're grateful for today or do i always notice that my answer in those group things is always quite left field compared to everyone else's and I think it's because it's my I've been taught to look at the world in a in a new way in a really grateful and a very simple way and sometimes sometimes we make things too, too complicated you know I remember when I was first getting well just walking around in the countryside and starting to notice things like birds singing and and brooks running with water stood out to me. They're the, they're the most simple things, you know, looking at buildings, looking at architecture. They, they're, they're around us all the time. There is a way to escape the, the busyness if, if you do take some time for yourself. It, it's a beautiful world. And it's full of gifts. So you need to look for it and you need to make time for it. Yeah, and I think um, that is a really nice, beautiful way to um, lead on to our final questions that I always ask. So um, I always ask one book or resource you would recommend to someone interested in tackling health inequalities. What would that be? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this. I'm an appalling reader. So <laughs> I'm not going to recognise a book. I'm going to recommend the internet. But what I'm going to say is... Google searching and and other search engines can lead you down a rabbit hole, can't they? And you can end up in the most bizarre places. If you if you stay within, like I love staying within the subject of kind of homelessness, and go down a homelessness um, rabbit hole on the internet. And and like last week, I found an amazing project in London called Change, who've got the most amazing double decker buses and are running coffee shops. And it's all about getting people who were previously homeless into um, in, into work in these coffee shops. I've, I've stumbled across organisations called HMP Pasties in Manchester. There's some really funky people doing some amazing projects. Some of them will be around you. Some of them will be in places where you might go on holiday to. You might get a nice coffee. You might get something um, decent for your profession. But yeah, go go wild on the internet, but in inclusion health. Um, I love that, Dom. Thank you. I'm definitely going to um, be doing a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> thanks so much. And um, your final question is the genie wish. So a genie appears to you, Dom, and says that you can have one wish um, to try and tackle health inequalities. What would that one wish be? It would be to get education and healthcare right in kids, because children is where where this all starts. 
Thank you, Donna. A really great way to finish. And I really hope those listening will find it as useful as I have hearing from your personal experiences. So thank you. It's been really great um, listening to you and I really hope you can take care. Really grateful you asked. Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Further podcast episodes, modules, blog posts and more educational resources are available on the Fair Health website at www.fairhealth.org.uk. If you enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe so you're updated when we release more episodes. It's always lovely to hear from you and thank you for all the comments and feedback we've had about the podcast over the last few years. Please get in touch via Twitter at FairHealthUK or at RMSteam. We're really looking forward to you joining us next time on our journey to finding fair health.